Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alleycast podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome to the part of the schedule where the most important game is the next one. <laughs> because uh, to keep the Arlington hopes alive, we pretty much have to win out. And the, the first step on that journey is going down to Waco and winning the game that Connor and I were least optimistic about at the beginning of this year and uh, winning. Luckily, we have a lot more reasons to be optimistic because at the beginning of this year, we thought this game was outright unwinnable or not necessarily unwinnable, but uh, extraordinarily difficult and highly unlikely. Our opinions have changed. Luckily, maybe for the sake of our own sanity, but (laughs) that. Nevertheless, let's take a look back at their 2021 stats. They were a 12-2 team with a 7-2 conference record. They ran for 3,070 yards, 5.4 per attempt, 29 rushing touchdowns, 2,843 passing yards, 7.79 per attempt, a 64.9% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns to 7 interceptions through the air, a third down percentage of 42.08, which was good for 48th in the country, a red zone touchdown percentage of 68.9, and a scoring percentage of 87.9, which is good for 34th in the country, 18 sacks allowed, 31.64 points per game with a total of 443 points for. Now, you may notice something that is exceptionally rare in modern college football, And that is they ran for more yards than they threw for. And that is by virtue of how their offense and the way it was. And spoilers, hasn't really changed, at least in terms of principle. But that's their offensive numbers. Connor has you for their defensive numbers. Yeah, so defensively, they gave up 18.29 points per game last year for total 256 points against them throughout the year. 3,185 passing yards, 13 touchdowns, uh, 1,656 rushing yards, 16 touchdowns, a third down percentage of 34.5%, which was good for 48th in the country, and then a red zone touchdown percentage of 53.6, and a red zone scoring percentage of 82.9% which was tied for 65th in the country. So about national average in that regard, at least in terms uh, of scoring touchdowns yeah. different, but they don't rank those. Yeah. And then, uh, interceptions, 19 of them, uh, forced 20 fumbles, 42 sacks for their defense last year. And then 12, uh, was their turnover differential plus 12. But the big takeaway there, I guess, is that their pass defense was a lot more porous one might say, then their run defense, uh, significantly so. But even still, they really didn't they didn't give up many touchdowns, period. Um their rushing touchdown mark wasn't was fine, I guess. It was pretty solid. But their passing touchdown mark is very low, especially compared to the amount of yards that they gave up. But overall, Baylor had one of the better defenses in the conference last year. Uh right up there with the uh well, I wouldn't say up there with Oklahoma State. They were behind they, Oklahoma they were State. They were no. Oklahoma State was different. Yeah, probably Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Baylor, then K State last year was probably the way to rank them. But solid, very solid defense last year. Yeah. 
So now let's take a look at who they're bringing back from last year. And there's only four really notable names, and that's Gabe Hall, a defensive lineman who was second in sacks, Siaki Ika, their nose tackle, who's their third leader in sacks, Dylan Doyle, a linebacker who was second in tackles, and they're returning Blake Shapin, who is the starter for this year and towards the back end of last year was the starter as well and was the person who won them the Big 12 championship game. At least he was the starting quarterback who did so. So you're like, wow, there's only four notable returners. What happened to the rest of their team? Well, Connor can tell you what happened to the rest of their team. Yeah. They lost a lot last uh, after last year. Jalen Petrie is the big one, uh, the star defender uh, and also the star on the defense period. I uh, was drafted to the uh, Texans and he's been having a really good rookie season there. That's kind of outside the scope of this recap or preview, but he's been good. Uh, Tyquan Thornton uh, was their wide receiver one. He was a burner. He's been drafted to the Patriots, hopefully not to go the route of pretty much every Baylor wide receiver one to ever be drafted, which is to become irrelevant. (laughs) Yeah, that's a shame. Could happen to anybody. But uh, JT Woods uh, was their um, interception leader at defensive back. Uh, He was drafted to the Chargers. Uh, Terrell Bernard, uh, their leading tackler and sack leader at linebacker, drafted the Bills. Treston Ebner, their backup running back, got drafted by the Bears. Caleb Barnes at corner was drafted to the Panthers. Abram Smith was their leading rusher, uh, and he was picked up by the Saints as a undrafted free agent. Uh, then Gary Bohannon, uh, who was QB1 last year, but it wasn't, he was told during the spring that the starter would be Blake Shapin. So he ended up transferring out to South Florida and he is imaginably still there. Not sure how good he's doing. He's hurt. He's hurt. So he's not doing very well. It's no. <laughs> and, uh, but he, uh, he transferred out in the spring, uh, despite being the, uh, the starter last year, uh, to make way for, uh, Blake Shapen. But on that topic, only three players, uh, transferred out of Baylor, which is remarkable given the, uh, uh, the climate of college football where transferring is definitely more common, uh, than it was in the past. Um, but, and by the way, I'm looking at South Florida, they are one in eight. So, yeah, uh, tough sledding for Gary Bohannon right now, but yeah, got hurt and your team's not doing too great. And they just fired their head coach. (laughs) They did. I saw that That's a tough situation to transfer into, I guess. Yeah. Tough scene for Gary Bohannon. Yeah, yeah. They they lost a lot from last year, and it kind of shows because they haven't been as like universally dominant as they were last year. They, which leads us into their 2022 schedule. They beat Albany in their first game of the year, 69 to 10. Nice. They lost to BYU, which was 26 to 20 in uh, uh whatever Utah. <laughs> wherever BYU is. Provo? Oh, Provo. Yeah, it's Provo. Yeah, Provo. Then they beat my tertiary team, the Texas State Bobcats. They beat them 42-7. to It wasn't a good day. They then beat Iowa State, who was 3-0 at the time, 31-24. to Then they lost to Oklahoma State, 36-25. to Then lost. The most inexplicable loss on the schedule was to West Virginia in Morgantown, 43-40. to I know their starting quarterback got hurt, but Honestly, their backup didn't play horribly. 
Then they ended up getting right back on track against KU, 35 to 23, then smoked Texas Tech. The it being fair, most of that was in the fourth quarter. It was actually close going into the fourth quarter, 45 yep. to 17, and then barely eking by Oklahoma, 38 to 35. So their their two conference losses, I mean, losing to BYU, I guess is fair. BYU has kind of fallen off, but they're still a good team. Oklahoma State, before they were absolutely decimated by injury, was a really solid team. Still is a really solid defense. Uh, I I can't tell you what happened to West Virginia. <laughs> the Big Twelve is just anyone can beat anyone, I guess. Yep, and I remember driving back to Manhattan after a game and listening to that Baylor Texas Tech game. And I remember because I tuned in, so I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a close game." Because it was like, uh, it, it was actually like a fairly close game at the time. And yeah. I think like the first thing that happened was a pick six or something like that. Um, and then they changed QBs from, I think it was Donovan Smith to Tyler Shuck and then Shuck his first pass in like, six. in like two months, pick six. And I was like, okay, well not going to listen to that anymore. But that was fun <laughs> while it lasted. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A bit of a, outlier score there i guess because uh that game is probably a little closer than 45 17 baylor definitely won it but yeah maybe not by the shouldn't have probably the the margin is a little it isn't really telling i guess the the margin is skewed very much so yeah but getting into the 2022 stats uh this year they're six and three four and two in conference play they have 1893 rushing yards for 4.7 yards per attempt uh, and then 2,170 passing yards, 8.2 yards per attempt through the air. And then 14 passing touchdowns to seven interceptions. And then they have a whopping 31 rushing touchdowns. Uh, 45.97 third down percentage offensively is tied for 25th. Uh, then defensively, uh, 41.2% on third down. That's tied for 87th in FBS. Um, and then points per game right now, they're getting 38.3 per game, uh, for a total of 345 points for, um, and then total points against them is 221, uh, turnover differential right now is plus three. They have 18 sacks on the year. And then their red zone scoring defense, 88.5%, which is tied for 104th in FBS. Not great. And then, uh, but they do hold pretty well on touchdowns comparatively, uh, just 53.8% of the time. Uh, they're giving up a touchdown and then red zone scoring percentage on offense, 83.3%, uh, tied for 71st and FBS and 75% of the time is a touchdown. Uh, so pretty solid touchdown rate there in the red zone for their offense. Yeah. So they're, they're a much more balanced offense than they were last year, but you know, that's because they're, they had a pretty generational running game last year. The running game this year is just pretty good, which leads us into their offensive personnel, play calling, things of like that. So on, on the first more general note about their offense, they, they play have a lot more of a ball control offense than anyone else we've seen. They're averaging 76.2 plays per game. It's mostly not because of, it, it's not really because of tempo. <laughs> like they, can hurry up and they've done it a few times but that's not really what they want to do what they want to do is they want to control the ball make the clock tick down and you know make sure that you don't get many possessions 
And that kind of leads to their average of uh, average time of possession being 33 minutes and 19 seconds. So they're they're pretty consistently getting, you know, more than half of the game. And that that's an average, meaning that there are times that they've gotten a lot more. <laughs> but that's just their general strategy in terms of personnel. It would have been it's in, if this were the 2010s, it would have been called the pro style offense. Yesterday's spread offense is now the pro style offense. So now it's just a lot of 12 personnel, occasionally 11 personnel. They don't like taking tight ends off the field, especially Ben Sims, mostly because he's probably their most dangerous. Well, that's not true. He's a really good receiving threat. In terms of specific play calls, their run pass split is 41.31 to the pass and then 58.69 in the running game. Yeah. <laughs> It's their team is built in the same mold as Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay to where they want to get the outside stretch running game going and then just throw a bunch of bootlegs and quick passes afterwards and then just let rack threats do what they do afterwards. So in a lot of ways, this is like, I I suppose, the most modern NFL offense that we've seen, you know, the most NFL like then. You know, I obviously the no, 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 I'll let you take the the running game, the basically everything to Blake Shapin's mobility. If that's all right. Fine by me. Uh yeah, the run game, like you said, it's mostly stretch runs to the outside. Um, whether that be a sweep or an outside zone, uh, that's what they're gonna try and do the most. Uh, and then passing wise, play action is 45.45% of their dropbacks. Screens, 7.2% of their dropbacks. And then motion is a pretty big part of their play calling, uh, about as much as K State's is probably. Um, and then, uh, so getting through that, we can get into the first player. Uh, that is quarterback Blake Shapin, number 12. Uh, K State's familiar with him at least, uh, just because we did see him last year. Um, but, um, Blake Shapin, uh, 1,951 passing yards on the year, 66.8% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Uh, and then his PFF grades are actually really good. Um, at 80.7 on PFF, 82.6 in the past game, 55.4 run, and then a 78.2 adjusted completion percentage. And then his deep completion percentage, 37.9. Uh, percent and then uh, but he is throwing 64.8% of his passes over the middle and intermediate center he is living there 92.2 PFF grade uh, in that area of the field and he is extremely boring uh, <laughs> from from the Baylor games that I've watched and uh, the Aces watched because uh, I've been able to watch Baylor play I think at least like two games this year he is just really all right. Um, he um, is slightly above average at basically everything he does. Uh, part of that is just he's a fairly young quarterback. I think he's a sophomore, maybe. Um, his arm's all right. He can get a decent amount of zip on his throws. Um, not really a missile launcher, though. Um, his mobility is okay. Um, he's not very shifty. Just got some straight line speed, so he can scramble a bit if he needs to, but it's definitely not his game. Um, and then uh, he is actually really good at dealing with pressure. 
Um, he doesn't really like mess up immediately when he feels pressure, uh, which is good enough itself. Um, and then he is, is solid at sliding or escaping. Uh, and he doesn't immediately take everything out of his throws when he's pressured either. Um, although his arm action does get messed up a little bit, that's not really unique to him or even a major concern. Um, and his processor is pretty decent as well. But Blake Shapin, all around solid. The main the main takeaway I can remember, at least from last year, his placement was really good. Yeah. Um, I specifically remember like a back shoulder like fade uh, that he threw. Um, and it was just like a perfect ball against us last year. Obviously, that's not indicative of everything he does, but that's the the little I, I can remember of Blake Shapin from last year. Yeah, I, he's he. <laughs> Like I, I hate calling him boring, but he he kind of is. <laughs> he's he's I I I don't want to throw out the Jared Goff comparison, but like that's kind of like the best comp that I can kind of come up with for him is the Jared like the good Jared Goff comparison. You know, whenever he was with the Rams, like solid quarterback who doesn't have any glaring flaws. You know, generally pretty accurate, though Blake Shapin's probably a bit more accurate than, you know, average Jared Goff performance. But I think that's why a lot of his PFF grades being so high is so surprising because, like, he's just so unbelievably boring <laughs> to watch. And he just, yeah. he's fine. He's, fine. <laughs> he's, he's fine. Yep, but I think you put it pretty good. Nothing, he's not reinventing the wheel at quarterback. Uh, he's he's gonna do what he's good at, which is most things, yep. <laughs> and but and he's gonna do all of those things at a decent level. Like he he's okay, nothing wrong with that either. Well, but now we can get into their running backs, which is basically a two headed monster by Richard Reese, number twenty nine, and Quaylen Jones, number twenty eight. Richard Reese is the leading rusher of the two. He has 798 yards at 5.1 per attempt and 13 touchdowns. In terms of his receiving ability, he has 12 catches for 84 yards, 8.3% drop rate. He has an 84.5 PFF grade, 64.6 in the pass, 84 in the running game. And his biggest trait is he has remarkable vision and acceleration. And whenever you have a system that prioritizes mostly zone running and sweeps, yeah, that, that's probably what the one trait that you really want your running back to have. Because he knows when to cut it to the backside of the run. He's not just going to, you know, run himself into the back of his lineman. He's not going to run himself into a linebacker. He's going to find a way to get into open space. And he also has a pretty quick jump cut that he can pull out to duck around blocks. He's a pretty laterally agile, like agile athlete. So he has plus acceleration, I'd say above average speed, pretty good agility. And a part of his vision is just, it makes him so hard to tackle for a loss because he's one of the few running backs that I've seen that he knows if you're in his face, you aren't in a lane somewhere. If you're in the backfield, that means that there's an unaccounted running lane. And he knows that and he's going to find that running lane. And that's just a big part of, of Reese's game. And then Quaylen Jones is you know, somewhat similar in a way. He has 362 yards, 5.6 per attempt, six touchdowns, 15 catches for 113 yards, 23.8% drop rate, 63.6 PFF, 37 in the pass, 73.1 in the running game. 
His biggest thing is he's an amazing back when he's in open space. And whenever he's given the ball on screen plays, which is basically just giving the running back the ball and say, hey, go nuts. Here's a few blockers. Go read space. He's that's when he's at his best. And a part of his vision, he's generally pretty good at pressing the blocks, waiting for the last second to make his cut, trying to make sure that linebackers get sucked up into the trash, so to speak. But yeah, both of them are really, really good running backs. And it's also worth noting for they have a, another one, number zero, who came on during the Oklahoma game, who showed that he's probably the best athlete out of all of them, which is insane. That shouldn't be allowed because he's definitely the fastest and most like he's the one who accelerates the best as well. Plus, he has good vision. So, you know, we have to worry about him as well if either one of those two isn't ready to go or if he's just earned himself more snaps. Yeah, it's very interesting to me how uh, Craig Williams uh, really had been like solid, but was not the starter. And then against OU, he goes 25 carries, 192 yards, and two touchdowns. And Richard Reese, who's kind of been the guy uh, all year, like he, he against Texas Tech, he had 36 carries, like 36 carries for Richard Reese against Texas Tech. And then even when it wasn't him, Quaylen Jones is getting a lot of action too. Craig Williams comes out of, out of he comes out of absolutely nowhere and pretty much doubles his season rushing yards total uh in a single game and leaves Richard Reese with just four carries for seven yards and then one catch for five yards. So Richard Reese usage uh down significantly, uh just kind of out of left field last week against OU. Um so I I'm interested to see who we see more of because it could be they could go back to Richard Reese. Richard Reese might have been like fighting through injury. I'm not sure on that front, um, but I, I don't like that Baylor has now a third running back that could really perform at a high level for them. That's and he's ag- arguably the most athletic yeah. of the three. <laughs> it's very aggravating and I'd rather they not. But yeah, and then Quaylen Jones is so interesting that he's so good in space because he's like 240 pounds. So <laughs> Yeah, he's 5'10", 240. That's not really fair. But he's he's a bowling ball. And he runs with both power and agility. He's not your traditional power back. It's also worth noting that writing up, like when we were writing up this scouting report, normally we only write up things that, you know, are notable, be they good or bad. This Baylor team is just so consistently good that we found ourselves struggling for things to say that were, you know, ridiculously high or ridiculously low. That's like, that's a theme. And it continues with the receivers. Yeah. So getting into the receivers, uh, starting out with um, Hal Presley, number 16, uh, 26 catches for 322 yards and three touchdowns, a 3.7% drop rate. Uh, 63.5 on PFF, 63.3 in the pass game. Very reliable, solid on screens. Uh, his short area quickness and speed is pretty good. Um, and he's he's a plus athlete that is going to make uh the catch. There, there's not a ton to say about Hal Presley in that regard, but he is very reliable and that drop rate uh is very impressive as well. Uh, not very high at all. Um. 
And if you go through his game log for this year, there's never, there's not a single game where you look at it and think that he had a standout game. Like he's had three or four catches in most of his games and in between 30 and 50 yards in most of his games. So he is generally a very consistent wide receiver. That's going to uh, have a solid performance. Uh, he's from the average. Yeah, he's fine. Uh, worth noting, he's from the uh, same town in Texas as Malik Knowles, Mansfield. So, oh. perhaps they're familiar with one another. Maybe so, especially because they're both receivers. So, yeah. maybe so. Guess we'll find out. But um, then we move on to the next guy, which is Monterey Baldwin, uh, number eighty. Uh, 16 catches for 332 yards and four touchdowns, a much higher drop rate at 15.8%. Uh, 70.9 PFF grade, 69.6 uh, pass game, uh, receiving passing game grade. Um, he is a complete home run threat. Uh, I think you could really describe him aptly as an all or nothing kind of receiver. Um, he is very sudden out of his routes uh, and he does not really lose much speed when he's making cuts, but he is really just not reliable. Uh, again, drop rate goes into that and he just um, has only registered stats in five games this year, which he's played in seven. So he has missed at least two games uh, for injuries or whatever. Um, but yeah, his, his production is all over the place where he has two games where that he's played not re- recorded a statistic, three games where he's only had one or two catches, and the last two he had four catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown, and then Oklahoma State, seven catches, 174 yards, and two touchdowns. So Monterey Baldwin, Baldwin all over the place, but that doesn't mean that you can forget about him and not account for him. He is pretty he's a lot smaller than i thought he was from having watched him he's 5'9 164 i figured he'd be more like 5'11 or 6 foot um but yeah he's a he's legit and he's got a lot of speed and he can make you pay so not not someone to forget about um and that takes us to the last receiver gavin holmes number six uh leading the team in receiving yards. He has 22 catches, 470 yards, and three touchdowns, and an 8.3% drop rate, 73.3 on PFF, and a 74.4 in the pass game. Uh he does struggle when uh pass is placed outside of his frame. Um, because a lot of that is because that's just not his natural uh style. He's definitely a body catching receiver. Uh and then you look at his averages and it does speak true to what he is, which is he is a deep threat home run kind of uh, receiver averaging 21.4 yards per catch. That is kind of obvious and he's very good at getting open middle or deep. Um, and some of that, it's just a mix of him being able to throttle down and then also just being a very fast receiver. And then it's worth noting that almost half of his yards came in the game against uh, West Virginia, where he's got 470 on the year and then had seven catches for 210 yards against West Virginia at a touchdown. Uh, and then other than that, he's been generally fairly reliable. Uh, a few games where he doesn't really show up, like he didn't really play well against BYU, Oklahoma State, or KU, um, but he's still seen actions in seven games and may have missed a few due to injury, but... 
Yeah. Uh, Gavin Holmes, uh, another guy to account for, uh, just another deep threat guy to worry about. Um, but another guy that you can't underestimate. Yeah. So like the, all the receivers are you know, plus athletes and they're solid, but their leading receiver, at least in terms of receptions is actually their tight end. That's number eight, Ben Sims. They also have another tight end, number 89, Drake Dabney. But starting off with Ben Sims, he has 27 catches for 224 yards, two touchdowns, a 6.9% drop rate, a 61.2 PFF grade, 64.5 pass, 50.9 in the run blocking grade. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I just I blatantly disagree with the PFF grades here. I think Ben Sims is a much better tight end than PFF is giving him credit for. Because he, he's not the most dynamic tight end that we've seen but he's one of the better ones in the big 12 it's because he knows how to use his body like he knows how to leverage himself he knows how to make himself you know as as a pretty good route runner he knows how to leverage himself lean into the lean into the defender and then snap out of his routes like he's he's good like he's a legitimately good tight end is he the best athlete that we've seen out of that? No, that's that's Sanders from last week. That's Shatavian Sanders and also Jaleel Billingsley. They shouldn't be on the same team. That should be like disallowed. That should be banned from happening. But Unfair. I don't even think Jaleel Billingsley did anything to us. But <laughs> I, you know, Ben Sims is a really good tight end. He has some pretty decent speed on him as well. He also has a weirdly good juke move, which is just like weird for someone his size. And it's not like the Travis Kelsey juke move where he just like phase, like he somewhat phases into the floor and then just emerges like two yards to the left. He actually runs like has a juke move that's kind of like just a big receiver. And as a route runner, he's surprisingly fluid, but maybe the, the biggest part of his game that's a question is his blocking. But even then, he's not bad at it. He's just fine at it. Yeah, I honestly, I I think Ben Sims is one of the better tight ends in the Big 12, which granted, there are not a lot of particularly notable tight ends in the Big 12. (laughs) Jatamian Sanders may win it by default, but (laughs) Ben Sims probably is up there and Ben Sinnott's probably the honorable mention because those are the only tight ends that really come to mind. But... Then you have Drake Dabney's, the other tight end, 16 catches for 173 yards, a 53.0 PFF grade, 68 in the pass, 40.9 in the run block. If Ben Sims is the more finesse possession tight end, Drake Dabney's the vertical threat tight end who still plays in line. He's, you know, he has pretty good speed. He's pretty tall, or at least he looks pretty tall on film. And, you know, he's a vertical threat who expands the defense but he's not a good blocker. So he's just basically a vertical threat tight end, which is a perfect compliment to Ben Sims, especially in, in an offense that runs as many bootlegs as they do, which, you know, specifically designed to, okay, here's a tight end blocking. Here's a tight end blocking. Oh, he's pretending to block. And now he's wide open. Like that's just a part of this offense. So yeah, they're, they're tight ends. And honestly, if I had to pick one person that, that isn't a running back that scares me the most, probably Ben Sims. Not because he's as much of a matchup nightmare as Jatavian Sanders was, but just because he's reliable and solid. <laughs> the offensive line, I, I'll, 
I, I'll, I'll take the the over the top here. We don't have much to say. <laughs> it's it's a great unit. It really is a great unit that knows how to play together. They're returning four or five starters from last year. They're only replacing their left guard, and they don't really have any weaknesses. And this is the definition of us. Like if we if there's nothing insane to talk about, we don't write it down. They're just a really great unit all around. <laughs> Yeah, I I can go into some uh, individuals, but again, there's not really a ton. Uh, so left tackle, they have Connor Galvin, number 76. Um, he was all Big 12 last year, as I recall. Um, and he's got a 71.6 PFF grade, 70.1 in pass block, 69.8 run block. He operates pretty well in space. He's really got great, great, great quickness for an offensive tackle. Uh, his kick slide is uh okay to below average it's more inconsistent than anything uh sometimes he steps more than he slides um but again his quickness kind of allows him to get away with it um then a left guard micah uh mazuka uh number 65 uh he uh, has a 75.9 pff grade 68 pass block grade and 78.7 run block grade he doesn't really do a great job against power rushers um, but all around he is he's solid. He's fine. Nothing incredible to write home about there. Uh, Jacob Gall, number 66 at center. Um, he's, he's graded out as the best on this line. Uh, 80.2, yeah, 80.2 PFF, 80.2 pass block, 77.8 run block. Uh, really, really relentless in the run game. Uh, he will drive you until he hears the whistle. And he gets up to the second level really quickly as well. He uh, he knows how to get his hips flipped uh, quickly to seal players away from the play. Uh, he'll do this against three techs, uh, and that's a very, 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 very difficult thing to do. Um, he uh, is pretty much the ideal run blocker uh, in this scheme and uh, the, the, the ideal offensive lineman for uh, the run game. Uh, for what Baylor wants to do. Um, the only time that he really struggles is when a nose r- will perfectly time the snap. So not that's very anybody. often. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, anybody. Yeah. Not, yeah. Rarely that happens. And when it does happen, you're not going to really find a center in the world. That's going to have a very good time uh, against a perfectly timed snap jump. So unless we think Uso is going to, Perfectly time every snap. We uh, probably aren't going to be winning a ton of reps there on the inside, although Eli Huggins is also really good. So that's going to be a really fun battle to keep track of yeah. uh, between center and Eli Huggins. Um, right guard, Grant Miller, number 63. I'm not joking. It's literally just his grades and nothing else listed. 75 BFF grade, 67.9 pass block, and a 76.5 run block. That he's, is Grant Miller. He's good. Like, he, like it's... <laughs> Him and the right tackle, there's there's nothing, or at least one of the right tackles that's a possibility. Both of them are like good. They don't have any glaring weaknesses. They don't have any strengths that are like insane to note. They're just they're good. <laughs> just fine offensive lineman. Good offensive lineman, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Then right tackle Gavin Byers, number fifty eight. Another case like that. Seventy five point eight PFF grade, seventy three point seven pass block, seventy three point two run block. Good offensive lineman right there. Uh, Khalil Keith, 
rotates in though at right tackle number 64 uh 65.2 pff grade 79.2 pass block and a 57.4 in the run blocking game uh, a few notes on him if he gets to the second level he will tackle you uh because he is just a mauler to a fault uh he's the absolute opposite of finesse um he he's just a mauler at right tackle he wants to just envelop someone and tackle them um finesse is not in his vocabulary pretty much but that does it for the offensive line yeah so so to put a bow on this offense you can kind of tell with how it's constructed that they're a run first team because they have a lot of really good running backs and a bunch of receivers who have speed that can catch the ball in space, and then make it work from there. Now moving on to the defensive side of the ball, starting with their personnel. They still run the 3-3-5 that looks like a 4-2-5 and often gets marked as a 4-2-5. It's basically just three down linemen, a fourth guy in the line that's a stand-up guy, plays like a linebacker. They play that tight front that we saw earlier in the year from, from TCU, where they have two guys pretty close to each other on the strong side of the formation a more nose tackles type on the weak side, and then the stand-up guy also tending to be on the weak side. Sometimes they flip it up depending on the strength of the formation, what they think they're going to do. They they don't really deviate from that tight front, though. In terms of secondary, it's a lot of too high coverages. And in terms of coverages, coverages, uh, it's the most complex defense we've seen. When they're not just running straight man coverage, which admittedly is a lot, They run a lot of match coverages, which is I think this is probably one of the few teams this year that I can discernibly and definitely say they run match coverages. And the only reason I know that is because Dave Aranda famously did a coaching clinic where like pretty much all of his notes were put onto the Internet. And I just got a look at quite a few, not quite a few, like two or three of his his match coverage calls. And I'm like, oh, hmm. That's why. <laughs> yeah, and Dave Aranda, there's a reason why he's been called one of the best defensive minds in college football for, for years now. Uh, it's because he is. <laughs> and this is a remarkably well-coached defense that plays well together. They don't play as well together as they did last year, but that's also because they lost a lot of pieces from last year. They They got significantly younger. And Jalen Petrie, while he was not the engine that made this defense work, he was kind of the aftermarket burner fuel that made it into like a rocket, basically. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's still a good defense. That's probably the most complex we've seen. But Connor, you have the interior defensive lineman, at least they're top two. Yep. So the big one, literally and figuratively, is Siaki Ika, number 62. Uh, 18 tackles, one tackle for loss, two pass breakups, and three QB hurries on the year. He has a 72.8 PFF grade, a 66.4 run defense grade, 35.8 tackling grade, and then a 74.8 in the pass rush department. So yeah, Siaki Ika, um, literally and figuratively gigantic, uh, he, he really is huge, uh, uh, which makes him very difficult uh, to move in the uh, 
in the in the uh, run game just because of how big he is. He's six foot four, three hundred and fifty-eight pounds. So there, there's very few individuals on Earth that can move somebody that large, um, especially when they're putting up a fight. Exactly. Um, he uses his arms and leverage uh, with a great deal of effectiveness. Um, and then he has a lot of strength to go with his size. He just likes to bully people. Um, and frankly, if I were as big as him, I probably would too. And he, despite all that size, he is still a very intelligent player. So don't, don't let it, uh, don't get the misconception that he's a big player and that's all he relies on. He's still a heady player and he knows where to be, where to go and how to do it. Um, but Siaki Ika, really, really, really outstanding at nose tackle, the best in the Big 12, probably. Um, and then uh moving on to Gabe Hall, uh and Gabe Hall number 95, 27 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss on the year, three and a half sacks, two pass breakups, and then three QB hurries. Um, Gabe Hall, um, a junior. This year, definitely not as big as Siaki Ika, <laughs> 6'6", 296. So a little taller, but about 50 pounds lighter. Yeah. Uh, 72.5 PFF grade, 69.2 run defense grade, and a 75.6 tackle grade to go with a 73.5 pass rush. Uh, his first step and initial burst is decent, um, but it is not the greatest. Uh, he doesn't load up his arms as well as he should to get a big punch when he's rushing. Um, however, however, he is really good at working, uh, the block. Um, he doesn't give up if he doesn't win automatically, uh, kind of the opposite of what we were saying about Siaki Ika last year, where it was pretty yeah. much just an instant win or loss for him, which like, <laughs> it's still kind of the case, but he's gotten better at it to where like he can win eventually over time. The thing is he just gets tired because he's that big. <laughs> yeah. He's only got so much stamina. He's gigantic. <laughs> um, and then uh, Gabe Hall, uh, he uh, um, he also does the tackles where he comes over on the sack attempt. Uh, so that means the QB is going to have to keep uh, his eyes open for Gabe Hall because he he could be coming from about any angle. So yeah, it's it's the it's the thing that Felix does where he reaches over going for the strip sack. Basically, mm-hmm. it's it's you know another solid group of interior linemen. And then their edge players, number nine, TJ Franklin and number 55, Garmin Randolph. Starting off with TJ Franklin, he has 24 tackles, two TFLs, half a sack, two pass breakups and three QB hurries, a 70.3 PFF grade, 68.5 run defense, 56.4 tackling and a 70 flat pass rushing grade. The thing that stuck out most to me is that he has pretty good pursuit angles. He's very good at pursuing the play no matter where he's at on the field, be it trying to play contain against a QB or whether it's just, you know, pure running snaps to the outside, he's going to take a pretty good pursuit angle. However, (laughs) when he's taking that pursuit angle, it's a good angle, but he doesn't put himself at a good angle. And by that, I mean, he doesn't get into proper tackling position when he does it, meaning that, yeah, he'll get close to you, but if you just like touch him, he falls. If <laughs> he, he just doesn't, he doesn't adjust for that. Which, granted, he's an edge player, so he doesn't. He shouldn't be playing like a linebacker. But you know, T.J. Franklin's another example of a pretty solid edge player. 
you know, he's pretty solid when it comes to pass rush, as his grade says, and he's pretty good at playing contain. And that's another common theme when it comes to Garmin Randolph, who has 31 tackles, five and a half TFLs, four sacks, four QB hurries, a 67.0 PFF grade, 64.6 run defense, 79.2 tackling, and a 68.2 pass rush. His thing is he gets, if he's going up against someone who's noticeably bigger than him, he gets bodied. But despite this, he's a solid power rusher. His biggest weakness is definitely in the running game whenever he's faced with someone who's bigger than him and they get his hands on him. And But whenever he's whenever he has to go towards the play, he's much better at that just because of how he's able to use his body and convert the speed to power. He's also just someone who refuses to say die on any given play. He's just another high motor pass rusher. So even if he doesn't win instantly, even if he's not driving the pocket back, even if he's not getting around the blocker, he's going to keep working the block. So that way that, you know, he is getting at least pressure. He's making someone uncomfortable. And that's kind of the, the important part of playing edge is not always getting sacks, but always making the quarterback uncomfortable and have to think about you. And that's something that both of these edge rushers are particularly good at. But next up is is linebackers. Yep. So linebacker, you start with number five, Dylan Doyle. Uh, 55 tackles, half tackle for loss, two interceptions, a pass breakup, and a QB hurry on the year for Dylan Doyle. A 76.3 EPFF grade, 84.6 run defense grade, 64.3 tackle grade. 62 pass rush and a 63.8 coverage grade. Uh, he is very experienced and a very intelligent player uh, to the point that misdirection is not going to be effective against Dylan Doyle. And he is always flowing in the direction that the ball is going. Uh, he is solid uh, at a tackling head up, but when you get him at an angle, paging Deuce Vaughn <laughs> is going to be more difficult for him to really complete a tackle. Uh, he does overrun his gap sometimes, uh, which kind of leaves a cutback open. Um, and he's also uh, unexpectedly fluid um, as an athlete uh, to the point that in coverage, he's at least serviceable. And then in goal line sets, he is actually the fullback. Uh, he has taken a carry on the year I checked. <laughs> it went for one yard. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that is serious. Um and then you also have uh, number two, Matt Jones, 44 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, and four pass breakups, 64 PFF grade, 68.1 run defense grade, a 74 tackle grade, 72.9 pass rush, and a 60.1 in coverage. Um, and he is a definitely a high effort player in the running game. He is certainly willing to run defend. Uh, and he, uh, he loves um, to get right into the play. Uh, right into the trash every time. Um, the question that is brought up, I suppose, is if is it his responsibility to do that? And the answer is life is what you make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, coverage, he's fine. Um, he's just extremely serviceable in, in that regard, but not going to do anything great. Probably not going to embarrass himself. So, which to yeah. be fair, that's really about all you can ever ask for from a linebacker really in coverage is just don't embarrass yourself. Like do an all yeah. right job. Yeah. 
just don't like actively pants yourself on on TV. But their corners is it's an interesting room. It's Lorando Johnson, number eleven, number three, Mark Milton, and the number thirteen, Al Walcott. Starting off with Lorando Johnson, he has eleven tackles, one and a half TFLs, four pass breakups, and a forced fumble. A seventy-four point seven PFF grade, seventy-two point seven run defense, thirty-two point one tackle, and a seventy-three point nine coverage grade. He might actually be the worst tackler I've seen. <laughs> He, well, not okay, not the worst tackle I've seen ever, but he's awful at tackling for a power five corner, especially one that you know, Dave Aranda likes his defensive backs to be able to tackle. And he's just not good at it. He doesn't get square to his target. He doesn't wrap up properly. And he does the prayer tackle, but he doesn't realize what the prayer tackle is meant to do. Whereas, you know, you're most to go for the legs and then grab his foot and wait for reinforcements. You're not just supposed to flop at his legs and hope for the best. <laughs> he's he's not a good tackler at all. So honestly, if we're running outside, I would particularly enjoy if we just ran it straight at him. Because, you know, that's a pretty solid move. <laughs> Which is weird because he's good at handling blocks. Like he's good at handling blocks, but he's terrible at tackling. It's so strange. But in coverage, he's better. He just has really good speed and agility. He's not going to get exposed. But his thing is he flips his hips maybe a touch early, but that's part of playing defensive back. Sometimes you guess correctly, and he guesses correctly a lot on when a play is going to go vertical. So I'm not going to hold that against him. And you have Mark Milton, who's kind of the other outside corner. He has 27 tackles, half a TFL, one pick, two pass breakups, and one QB hurry. A 69.6 PFF grade, 54.4 run defense, 68.5 tackling, and a flat 70 in coverage. And he's a touch slow when he's playing in off coverage to come up on things like curls or short comebacks or screens. But, you know, that's just a part of playing off coverage, <laughs> And he's asked to do that a lot. So this this team, I should have mentioned this earlier, but they play a lot of off-man coverage. So, you know, they're not going to try and play press. They do play press occasionally, but that's not what they 100% want to do. They want to play off-man or off-match because Dave Aranda. <laughs> uh, to his credit, I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing him get outright dusted or toasted. He's always at least in the area. Whenever he gets up a catch, he just kind of gets out leveraged, which, again, that's part of playing defensive back. Sometimes you get out leveraged, but he doesn't really get absolutely dusted as like so good on him. And then their third corner slash third safety slash Jack slash star slash cowboy slash whatever it's called in this <laughs> this week. I know Baylor calls it star, but. Al Walk- Walcott, he has 55 tackles, seven TFLs, one sack, one pick, four pass breakups, and one forced fumble and a partridge in a pear tree. He has a 76.2 PFF grade, 76.6 run defense, 61 tackling, 76.1 in coverage. Uh, when he's not getting held, he's really good in run defense. <laughs> I think everyone's figured out to just hold him. <laughs> Because for some reason, Big 12 referees are just allergic to calling outside holds. So he just gets, poor man, gets mugged. <laughs> like, I've never seen 
a player that I can definitively point to on nearly every rep and say he's getting bullied and not because he's bad, but because he's just getting held every play. <laughs> Maybe Felix, but Felix can work past it. But yeah. but by virtue of how this defense is, he's the most versatile player on this defense. And he's good in all types of coverage, be it the match coverage, zone coverage, whenever they run that occasionally. <laughs> or man coverage, and he just doesn't give up free leverage. He's going to make you fight for every single thing that you're going to get against him. You're not going to get free leverage against him. You're not going to get free yards against him. You're not going to you know, make him miss that particularly often. He's probably their best player on defense, again, by virtue of playing the star defender. You know, Maybe the best pure player at his position is Siaki Ika, but the best overall player and part of the defense is probably Al Walcott. But you have the dueling safeties here. Yep. So we start with Devin Lemire, number 20. Um, he has 34 tackles, two tackles for loss, two interceptions, and three pass breakups on the year. His PFF grades, very, very high. 87.3 on uh, overall grade, 84.8 run defense grade, 79.4 tackle grade, and 85.6 coverage grade. Uh, and those grades are well-deserved. Um, he is always in on the play, uh, whether it's a right place, right time sort of thing, or whether it is a legitimate great read on the quarterback. Uh, he is all, He's just all around one of the best safeties in the Big 12 uh, and he really doesn't have any major weaknesses. Devin Lemire is a very, very good safety. And uh, the the hype and the uh, grades around him are well-earned. Um, and then you have number 14, Devin Neal, not the running back for KU, the safety for Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, he has 36 tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, one interception, a pass breakup, and a forced fumble this year. So a little bit of everything. Uh, 65.3 PFF grade, 84.9 and run defense, 58.5 tackle grade, 58.1 uh, coverage grade. Um, does not have a ton of lateral quickness that allows him to play true man. Uh, it, it's not even something where you need to do something particularly like heady or impressive. Uh, you just need to like delete the space in between him and you. Yeah, just get in his um, face. Just get yeah. in his face. That's it. Yeah, and uh, he's not going to panic. Uh, but there's no urgency really with it at all. Uh, so he, he he's just kind of vibing, I guess, on the back yeah, he, end. <laughs> he, he just vibes, like no thoughts, only vibes. He, the, I hate to use this word. He just kind of looks lackadaisical most of the time. He's just there. He's not bad. It's fine. But guess it works. Guess it works for him. He's just him. just chilling on the back end in Cedar yeah. Rapids. Yeah, he's just chilling. Riding the lazy river that we're going to build between every single Big 12 school, I guess. I can't wait. (laughs) But yeah, that's the individual players. So again, the defense is a solid group that plays well together because it is a Dave Aranda coach defense. Of course, that's the way it is. And a lot of their greatness comes from scheme, not necessarily individual players. The players just enhance the scheme. You know, it's kind of like, in a way, but not as extreme, how Bill Belichick treats his players to where his he will get people based off of his scheme, but it's really the scheme that makes the players as great as they are. That's no disrespect to players like, you know, Siaki Ika 
and then a Devin Lemire and Al Walcott or even Jalen Petrie from last year. Those are all great players in their own right. It's just that they were beneficiaries of one of the best defensive schemes in college football. (laughs) But now we can go into the stories to watch going into the game. First and foremost, given how, you know, K-State's played recently, uh, who sees it? Who do you think seizes the momentum early in this game? Um, I'm going to tentatively say K-State in this one. I I think that the offense is going to want to prove themselves early uh, coming off of a loss. And that's something that I feel like this year we've seen uh, quite often is that this team coming off of a loss uh, plays with their hair on fire and with something to prove. Uh, so Kleiman, definitely a great motivator after a loss, would rather just do that after wins. But Yeah, that'd be nice. But I'll, I'll say KC gets the early momentum. Yeah, I I agree. And part of that is because I think that if Baylor gets the early momentum, I don't think they're going to let go just by virtue of how their offense operates. So granted, yeah, it's, a, it's an offense that you theoretically can stop. But once they get that ball rolling and if they get if if we at any point get down to two possessions, I my my optimism will be gone <laughs> if we go down two possessions but i think k state seizes the the early momentum because again except for against you know iowa state when no offensive momentum was ever had and against texas where you know we we started off a little slow you know outside of that we've been pretty good at starting hot on offense and defense Yep. So moving on to the next question, does Colin Klein deal well with a uh, complex defense? I actually believe so. And the main reason I believe that is because I think Colin Klein understands at this point what his both quarterbacks are capable of. And in doing so, I think he's more than willing to say, okay, you know, here's the looks that the defense is giving us. They're playing a lot of off-man coverage. You know, if they're playing off-match, that's fine. We'll, you know, just run a curl route. We'll run, like, a short little easy concept. I think that the way that Colin Klein will deal with a complex defense is, and I know this is going to sound hilariously contradictory, but on a play-to-play basis, he will make either the simplest play to read in human history or he will draw something up that is explicitly made to make the the defense go cross-eyed. And I know that that is insanely contradictory, but I think it will be on a play-by-play basis. <laughs> I do mean play-by-play. So you may get one where he's just going to run dragon or slant flat, where it's literally you read slot defender, go for it, do whatever you want. And then he may run, you know, a little bit something more complex, like one of his flood concepts or, uh, you know, tight end wheel or things like that. Maybe even a QB power pop pass. But uh, long story short, I think he does. I do think he does well. How about you? Um, I think that he's going to start out hot, uh, maybe a trail off of it by halftime and then finish strong. Uh, That's that's kind of where I'm going to. have Kleina for this game because uh, I think Baylor will adjust and then he will counter adjust um, and 
handle it for the most part. But no, that, that that's what I see. I don't have any like monologues or soliloquies <laughs> to give, but yeah, he'll do. I think he'll do above average. Yeah. Next question: Can the interior offensive line handle Siaki Ika well enough? Uh, Cooper Beebe with help can. If Siaki Ika decides to go to his left instead of his right, the answer is, I think, a resounding no. Uh, and that that's just a Siaki Ika thing. Siaki Ika is really, really good, and he's really, really big. And I, no offense, I do not trust Hayden Gillum and Hadley Panzer all game long against uh, Siaki Ika, especially when they inevitably bring a blitz to free up Ika in the middle uh, to just absolutely eviscerate somebody uh whether it be panzer or uh uh gillum i doubt they test cooper bb very much because he he could probably handle him and they'll never match up but honestly i bet kt could too um but i i i'm pretty skeptical of the line's ability to handle siaki yeah also fun uh yeah i agree by the way (laughs) also fun fact i forgot to mention about siaki Ika. Baylor has a blitz package where he drops back into coverage. I guess that's better than him rushing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, they have a they have a blitz package where I think it may be similar to what what the Dolphins did and started doing a couple years ago under Brian Flores, where they have it's basically a blitz zero, but wherever the center moves his head towards one of the defensive linemen, that lineman backs out into coverage. So that way to occupy a short passing lane, that is what absolutely assassinated Lamar Jackson in the Dolphins uh, Ravens game. I think Dave Aranda looked at that and said, Hey, that's cool. Maybe we should try that. That was a completely irrelevant tangent. The off the interior offensive line is going to have their hands full. I think BB may be able to handle him pretty well. Gilly is going to be, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, Panzer, I think can, hold his own in run blocking and i think that if we run at him enough he will get tired and then we won't have to worry about him as much in pass protection (laughs) just throw in tony frias as like a sacrificial lamb i guess (laughs) and just have him run directly into siaki ika like five times in a row see what happens yeah yeah next as well does the offensive line uh, also cut down on its pre-snap penalties? I hope so. That's really all I can yeah. say. <laughs> Me too. I, I really, I, I never want to see KT fall start two snaps in a row again. I love KT. That was very frustrating, though. Yeah. Next up, how does the K-State defense play against the outside zone slash boot scheme? So how do they play against the Kyle Shanahan offense? Um, I think, I don't know, honestly, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, uh, how assignment sound we play, uh, because we have shown a propensity for being overly aggressive at times. Uh, other times we have done the opposite and been very assignment sound. It just kind of depends, honestly. Um, but I think with an offense that's so attuned, um, to like an outside zone and boot, uh scheme that will probably be a bit more prepared for it i think we do fine against it they're going to beat us sometimes uh just because it's going to be very difficult to stop an offense like that constantly 
um, when it's just designed to put people in open space and it gets very difficult to cover them. Um, and then there's going to be times where we beat them as well. I know it's a very non-committal answer, but <laughs> I think that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, just both teams will do solid at varying times throughout the game. Yeah. See, I, I have an answer specifically for the boot passing game, and this may sound contradictory, but one of the ways that a lot of NFL teams have decided to attack the boot scheme is to be really aggressive on the backside and honestly not even have that backside player play contain. It's literally just, hey, you see that quarterback? Hill. <laughs> they, that's, that's how they really started defending the boot scheme. Problem is, is that that requires the front side of the line to be really assignment sound and make sure that there's because you're you're essentially automatically putting yourself minus one in the running game by doing that. But it, it really is just okay. What what do you want to have a higher chance of getting beat by outside zone or or the boot pass? I would pick the boot pass, but again, I'm not Klanderman. I don't I don't get paid enough to be Klanderman. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, you can take the next yeah. two because the, the other, the O-line one was kind of okay. <laughs> yeah. Can K-State, uh, get penetration against probably the best offensive line that we've seen this year? Penetration is a strong word for this offensive line. I think Felix, because it is never, it's just not going to get called this year. I think Felix is just going to get held the entire game. And outside of that, you know, Huggins, he's good, but he's more of a flower than he is a true, like, insane penetrating guy. But, like, honestly, the only, the only time that I really want the D line to be focused on that is on passing snaps. Because I'd much rather have them be willing to flow with the play in the outside zone scheme, even if that does occasionally mean they get washed on a boot play, which is why I think that backside defender will be so important. But I, this will be a very difficult battle, and I wouldn't be as pessimistic as I was as I am if it hadn't been for last week, because I think te- Texas's offensive line is significantly worse than Baylor's. And we didn't get a single sack against them. We got a few hits. We got a few pressures. But, you know, it, it kind of just seemed like we got worn down by them a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried as well because of that reason. Because uh, the uh, the pass rush against Texas was just always like a step behind. Uh, so definitely going to have to improve in that department. Part of it is uh, just that. And that's a difficult team to really do anything against because despite skill issues at times, like they're still the very athletic team that they are. Uh, but I don't know. I'm interested to see how we perform against this uh, Baylor, uh, Baylor offensive line. Uh, but I, I am a little bit worried right now. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, but moving on, can the defensive backs contain an athletic, albeit uh, inconsistent wide receiver union? Thank you for picking up that I meant receivers. <laughs> I figured um, that's what you meant. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, this is probably the the part that I'm most confident in, and that I I truly think that this group of defensive backs matches up very well with this group of receivers. Like Julius Brents, I think 
like outright seatbelts any of these receivers because like he just of how well he's performed against I no disrespect to the Baylor receivers, but against better receivers. Echo went in man coverage. He probably seatbelts everyone as well. I I I I am actually remarkably confident in the defensive backs. I don't think that this game comes down to passing. Spoilers. I don't think this game comes down to to passing. Knowing me and my luck, this means that there will be 700 yards passing between both schools on Saturday. But I, yeah, I, I feel confident in our defensive backs. Yeah, I do too. Um, like you said, Julius is probably going to have a really good day. Um, I did pick a defensive back for my MVP, but uh, safety, just because I think there's going to be some run game impact. Um, but I think that the defensive backs should have a good day. I'm a little bit worried about Ben Sims uh, just because he's kind of had a knack for getting open. Um, and I, I do respect his game a lot. Uh, but if he's the biggest threat that we have to worry about, I think we can handle it. Yeah. Um, although we are still going to have to be assignment sound, not get burned deep. Yeah. Then the final question, does Deuce break through Baylor for 100 yards on the ground for the third time in his career? Because fun fact, I didn't know this, and I thought that he wouldn't have just knowing these Baylor teams. But every single time that he's played Baylor, he's rushed for over 100 yards. Then, yeah, I will uh, say that he continues that streak. Who am I to say he won't? Uh, but I, I I like him to have a, a nice day on the ground. Uh, I think he'll um, probably go for well over 100 and hopefully having some more receiving impact as well. Um, but I'm looking forward to how Deuce performs against this Baylor defense because he did well against them last year, and that was a much better defense than they have this year. Yeah. All right. So second to last is projected offensive and defensive MVP, starting off with the offensive side of the ball. I know this is cheating every single time I do it. I recognize that it is cheating. I simply do not care. I think that if we are to win this game, the offensive line will be the MVP. Because I think that this game has the potential to be a rock fight. I think that, you know, whoever gets plus one possessions ends up winning. And a big part of making sure that you stay plus one possession is making sure that you don't take negative plays. The person, the group of people most responsible for making sure you don't take negative plays, the offensive coordinator. But the one that actually plays on the field is the offensive line. So I'm going to give my projected MVP to the O-line. I'm going with Deuce Vaughn. Um, I honestly wasn't sure this week. There were multiple players that I looked at and thought they could have a pretty good game this week. So I ended up going with the most sure bet that I could think of. Um, that's Deuce Vaughn to do Deuce Vaughn things. And he has a good uh, trajectory. He has a good history against uh, Baylor, I should say. Um, so I, I'll, I'll choose. I'll, I'll pick him to continue. Uh, that a good trajectory against Baylor. Yep. You can go first for defense. Offensively, I went with Kobe Savage. Um, A lot of that actually is because of the run game. Uh, I think that Kobe's going to be flying downhill a lot to try and get to the outside uh, while we have other guys uh, trying to force and whatnot. I'm thinking back to his big stop against Texas uh, late in the game. And I think Kobe Savage could be primed for a really big day and, run defense, and then also as a safety defending the middle of the field uh, where Blake Shapin loves to live. Uh, so I he 
he and the other safeties will have a lot of responsibility on their plate, but I still went with Savage. Yeah. <clears throat> For me, I ended up picking Austin Moore because he's been the best linebacker. And just like how the offensive line, I think, is going to be the key group for the offense, I think the linebacking room is going to be the most important room for the defense because I'm confident in what the DBs can do. The D-line, I'm willing to say take it or leave it, but the linebackers are going to be the most important room, especially in defending the outside zone scheme. And I think the best linebacker in space this year has been Austin Moore which Daniel Green has been the enforcing run stopper. Austin Moore has been, you know, his nickname, the namesake, the machine. And I think that that's going to be very important because I think that there are even times that he's asked to defend Ben Sims. So maybe we can have another, you know, DB and deeper zone coverages defending the middle of the field, you know, just being middle field goblins. (laughs) But yeah, I'm going to go Austin Moore. The uh, the other, you know, 41 a.m., if you will. <laughs> but how did I just now make that connection? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I now last but not least, the score projections. This is the least certain that I've been about a game in quite some time. And you know, it's not even uncertain in the Oklahoma State last year, the Texas last week way to where I don't know what the teams like really are. I know what Baylor is. I just don't know how we respond to it because <laughs> Baylor is such like a unique team for the Big 12. I think that this I, I ended up I can see an equal chance of this game ending up like 14 to three. As I see it could be my score projection, which was 24 to 21 for K-State. I I think this is going to be a brutal game. I think that this is going to be a game that will be extremely frustrating to watch at times. And I think it might turn out to be a rock fight, but I think it's a rock fight that K-State can win. I have a very similar score projection. I'm saying K-State 27, Baylor 24. It's going to be a tough game for either team uh, to come out on top. Uh, I'm I'm picking K-State partially for my sanity and partially because I think that they probably are the better team on paper. Um, But this Baylor squad is still really good and it's going to be a home game for them. Uh, And it's been we haven't won in Waco for a couple of uh, attempts at this point. I think haven't won there since I think 2016 uh, now. So and kind of need to break that trend. Um, and I think that we will. I think that this is a good Baylor team, and it's also a must-win game We're coming off a loss. Uh, so I'll, I'll say Cats by three. Yeah. So normally we, I, I say, like, hey, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, I have a final thought. This is the first step. That we the, Our destiny is thoroughly out of our hands as it stands right now. We need Texas to lose. I think Texas plays earlier in the day than us, if I'm remembering correctly. So if they lose, this this game quite literally is the the first step to the rest of the path to Arlington. We don't we can't lose we can't afford to lose any games anymore. We simply can't. Because if we lose to Baylor, they hold the tiebreaker over us, so it doesn't really matter because we're either going to be behind Texas or Baylor. 
if we beat Baylor and we move on every single week and just keep winning games, all we need is for Texas to slip up once against either the team in the Big 12 that has had their number and is currently the first in the Big 12 and now fourth in the college football playoff rankings, which took honestly took me by surprise. But yeah. They either have to lose to a team that they haven't been good against, which granted they have their old head coach because Gary's a traitor, but (laughs) uh, they have to to lose against KU who, okay, they're not going to lose against KU. (laughs) It's not going to happen again. But, I mean, if it does, it'd be very funny. But then they have to go to Baylor, who this complex scheme, I think, just has the potential to murder Quinn Ewers. I, so... They need to, Texas needs to be perfect just as much as we need to be perfect. And this is the first step to that. We can still go to Arlington. It's not off the table. We just need to win one game at a time and control what we can control. And what we need to control is getting this victory. Yep. Just play the games in front of you. Don't worry about what Texas is up to. Uh Luckily, we are through the gauntlet at this point. Uh, still no easy wins left on the schedule. Uh, but we have finally made it through our stretch of three straight ranked teams. Only getting one win would have really, really, really liked to get two. Um, but uh, still getting one win that leaves you in the hunt. Uh, but we are going to need some help. Yeah. Unfortunately, well... I still don't mind being a TCU fan this weekend, but that that it we good. <laughs> I think so. I think we've exhausted the content for this. All right. Well, since that's the case, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email the show, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville AlleyCats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon AlleyCats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville AlleyCats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you say love. Stay safe, AlleyCats.